This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Bartholomews, Principal at ULegal. It's an award-winning commercial law firm helping health and health tech businesses protect their purpose. You hear me speak a lot about digital-first healthcare and why I'm supporting my customers and partners to modernize healthcare service delivery in this light. However, you don't see this too often from a very rigid and established profession such as law. This is where Sarah comes in, describing her vision and the business of you legal as new law, or as I relate to it, digital first legal services. Sarah discussed with us why you legal have innovated in this front and how that supports the protection of client purpose. And in addition, how you legal has focused on healthcare and health tech businesses with some innovative client engagement approaches to help build into your business the support to understand your legal vulnerabilities, to roadmap the required changes needed over time, prevent the typical frustrations that a lot of you legal's clients face from time to time in the business of healthcare, and generally bring, as Sarah describes, the humanization of law into a commercially and easy to budget for approach. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? Very well today. Yourself? I like to think every day is a good day, and I'm going to stick to that story today. It's been an interesting journey, actually, last couple of days, speaking of law and health. (laughs) We'll just get straight into it right off the bat. What's happened? I had my daughter in for what we thought was a single tooth removal, or possibly a crown, on Monday, actually. And she came out of surgery with three crowns and a missing tooth. And we had no idea what happened there. So maybe we can sort of generally circle back to it as we find out all about (laughs) <laughs> you legal and everything Definitely. that you're doing, Sarah. So it's um, much more interesting to have a real story, <laughs> a real case study. Yeah, but look, I guess we've got a little bit of time to unpack a few things. But you're running a very innovative law firm, and there's so many reasons why I thought it'd be great to get you on the show and talk about it because I see so much innovative thinking in the way that you actually are building your business and how you actually market yourself and even how you sell and productize uh, legal products in the online space. So I hope we can sort of work through that a little bit today, but tell me a little bit about your journey and what led you to create ULegal. I started ULegal after being made redundant from my corporate role. I was 32 weeks pregnant when I was made redundant. I'd been working on a corporate restructure, so it wasn't a huge surprise. It was just the timing that was a surprise. And I was sort of in this limbo with the time of my life about what do I do? Do I just start parental leave early and then come back in six months and try and find another corporate in-house role? Or do I take the opportunity to start something for myself? And I had one big client that were really keen for me to do that. And so I thought, hey, what's there to lose? And started actually at the time it was called SJB Legal. I named it after myself like many law firms do when they start out and had baby Nicola, came back to work at six weeks and found that 
there was just way too much work for me to do. So I needed to bring other people on board. But I was really wary of the overheads of traditional firms and the risks that they take by taking out expensive leases and having expensive lawyers. And so I wanted to find a way to disrupt that model a little bit. And this was the very start of new law about eight and a half years ago now. And I brought on lawyers as consultants, which meant that I could have top tier lawyers that were all sole practitioners in my team with all different areas of expertise. And we started that way. And it was really after about six months of that, I worked out that the firm wasn't about me, surprisingly, it was actually about our clients. And so we renamed it U Legal. And about four years ago, we pivoted to start working almost 100% in healthcare. So we work with health tech, med tech, doctors, allied health, pharmacists, dentists, all the kind of health experts. And we did that because I'd worked out that just working with big corporates wasn't filling my cup. I was really interested in helping the world and doing good in the world. And I thought no one really helps people more directly than people who work in health. That's a great explanation of your why, Sarah. I'm just thinking what a great time to get a redundancy when you're 36 weeks pregnant. Great time slash not great time. (laughs) But I really like that insight that you had around why you actually existed as a business. So you'd sort of build a Mm. firm and you had consulting sole practitioners building as a team and you sort of moved it into the context of your customer or your client. And I draw a lot of parallels in terms of how we develop and uh, design software in exactly the same mindset. We call it customer experience design. Is that a language that you've become familiar with over time? Yeah, something that I've become familiar with, but I didn't know that it had a term, I suppose. It's interesting when you first are a startup, you don't really know the terms, but you do get more familiar with them. Obviously, very familiar with startup terminology now, as we were talking backstage before. But one thing I suppose that I had this insight about was that I'd worked as an in-house lawyer on some very big transactions with big law firms. And so I had a unique insight where I'd been the client, albeit quite a sophisticated client because I was a lawyer. And then I'd also now was starting my own practice and thinking about what is this like for my clients? What do they need from me? How do I explain the value that they're getting from what we're doing for them, which can be so difficult. I think if you're entering into working with an expert that you haven't worked with before or that you don't really know how they work, I think it can be a bit of a mystery. You sort of talk to someone and then a week later or so you get an agreement that's meant to do everything that you say that you want it to do. But what was happening in that week when you gave instructions versus what's turned up in your email? So also really trying to explain in our proposals in a stepwise way how we work, like that we'll have a conversation with you and then we will draft the agreement and then we'll have another conversation with you to go through any questions you've got, any changes you need made, and then we'll send it through. And amazingly, in creating that retainer kind of arrangement, 99% of our agreements fit within that rhythm. And so it was working with clients that I needed to do to be able to create those more productized legal services where we can say, 
we can fix this for you. Know how much it's going to cost up front. It's not going to be between two and 20 hours, which for a client and for me as a business owner, just can't get my head around how you don't know if it's going to cost me $10,000 or $1,000. So I suppose that's how I think about it. And we now sell online products through our website so that people who have never really worked with us before can find us and say, I can see you're an expert. I know this is what I need. I know what I'm going to get for my money. And I trust that you're going to do the best for me, which is really hard in professional services to be able to do that. I think a lot of people can relate to what I'm about to say. You kind of feel like you're a bit of a passenger when it comes to engaging with legal issues and kind of working through it. There's a whole domain knowledge that you don't know about. You've got to learn a lot about the law as it applies to you. And it's a constant moving target or it's constantly evolving based on case and statute and a whole bunch of stuff that's happening in the background. So you can feel very vulnerable as a client. And then you can tend to feel as though you can be made to feel sometimes from various firms that I've had experience with earlier in my business life, that the problem is you. You don't understand or you don't really have all the background and what's not to get kind of thing. So is that the type of thing you're talking about where you're sort of really trying to break down that barrier and really make it the client's experience and not necessarily just make it the lawyer's experience, if I can oh, put it in absolutely. that context? What clients can sometimes find is it's like they've jumped on a train and they don't really know where it's going and they can't get off very easily because once you start with a legal matter, there are barriers sometimes, depending on what it is, we try and work up front. We have a big philosophy about wanting to protect our clients. And so when we're drafting agreements or privacy policies or website terms and conditions, that There's not really another party involved, but we also do litigation from time to time. And once you jump on that litigation train, you are at the mercy of the court, which you don't know what they're going to do. You're at the mercy of the other side and you don't necessarily know what their lawyer's approach will be. And so it can be a very difficult learning time. I remember when I was a junior lawyer, my husband actually went through a big dispute with one of his clients and he worked in hospitality at the time. And I had an appreciation about just how stressful and emotional that engaging lawyers could be because it does feel like it's completely out of your control. You're 100% right, Yanni. And I think one thing why you can feel like it's your fault sometimes is that sometimes actions that clients have taken may not have been in their best interest, but they might not have known that. And so lawyers need to sensitively communicate that to clients to say, this is where we are and we need to make the best of this situation to try and get you out of this with your sanity, with your dignity and at the best possible price, if that's, of course, what they're looking for, which most people who get involved in litigation without driving it themselves do want. Building a good defence is better than waiting till you're in a pickle before you sort of reach out and seek legal advice. It doesn't matter whether you're in healthcare or a startup or health tech or med tech. You talk a lot about working with clients' purpose and going through some health checks and mapping out their potential issues. Tell me more about that approach because I really think that goes towards what we're talking about here around the customer experience and how you can bring somebody up to speed in terms of this is where you're at 
and this is how you move forward with them fully engaged in it. Tell me from your point of view we how that works. We love doing networking with clients either from a very early startup stage where they've started to get customers and they think, uh-oh, we're onto something. We've got to map our legal journey out essentially, but we don't know where to start. So we do that health check you mentioned and we do that for not just startups but people who've been, maybe they've bought a business and they're not sure where they're at with the legal side of things. They didn't do a due diligence. If it was a medical practice, often there's not a whole lot of due diligence other than financial due diligence that gets done. We have a look at where people are at, where they are on the road, and then they create the road. And we don't put any timelines around it. We just say, you know, this is the order in which it might be best for you to get some assistance if they haven't got employment agreements yet, if we find a gap where there's a partnership or a shareholding and there's no shareholders agreement. One of my pet peeves is when people don't have shareholders agreements because if there's a dispute, it's just so much more complex and expensive to unwind. If there's a shareholders agreement, you've already had those difficult conversations about what happens if I no longer want to work in the business or I get an opportunity to move overseas with my family. You've thought about all the potential things that might happen and how you might extricate yourself from each other because being in business together is a lot like being married, really. You want to have clear guidelines about what's going to happen if something changes, even if somebody gets unwell, particularly where there's clinicians involved. And part of the arrangement of working together is that you commit a certain amount of time to the business so that there's a reliable turnover. So there's a whole lot of things, uh, med tech and health tech, of course, terms and conditions for apps or privacy, consents, all those things can be so important when you're collecting patient information and that then goes through to your clients who are the doctors or allied health. So there's a lot of things in our roadmap and yeah, it just depends on where you're at with your journey and what sort of other support you have. We do find that professional associations can provide kind of rudimentary options, but if your business is becoming more sophisticated, it might be time to have a think about where you're at with the business and making sure you're protected, which we even look at people's insurance to make sure that they're not paying too much for insurance and they're not leaving any gaps on their insurance as well, which can be a bit of a surprise. We had a client recently, we've all been hearing that during COVID, there's been additional cyber attacks. And we had a client that was quite a big organization that had a cyber attack. And we were brought in to look to work with their insurers to try and get them the maximum outcome. And we worked out that they were hugely underinsured for the impact that it had on the business. And then there's potentially a claim or a conversation with their insurance agent about how did we get to this position when we're a big business of a turnover of a certain amount and we're all online, we should have been better protected. That's a big area. And for those who are thinking about starting up in health tech and med tech, I'd really recommend building a proper foundation around cybersecurity and risk mitigation in that particular area. Because what we're seeing in the industry is that insurers are increasingly more vigilant around what they will pay. And secondly, they're also more vigilant around what clients to actually accept and insure. And the fees are going up. What clients need to be doing, because one of the big ways that 
they get in is through your staff clicking on a link that they shouldn't click on. So even in my smaller business, I send emails around saying, if you get this, do not click on it. I've got this today and I know that it's not good. And so having that continuous education, I've even heard of some firms and businesses, they get people to send fake ones of those. And then the people who click on it, they get extra training. So it's a huge area, even in social media. So making sure you've got that two-factor authentication or the authenticator app on so that people can't get in and then hold you to ransom and ask you for thousands of Bitcoins in response. And of course, people are getting these robot telephone calls telling you there's just been a payment applied to your eBay account or your Amazon Prime subscription or whatever the case is. And if you haven't authorized it, press one or two, and then they entrap you into then providing and disclosing information. And that's the identity theft type model, which is Mm -hmm. then used to actually get access to your systems. And if, if you've got work systems on your private systems as well, there's just a growing minefield for businesses, let alone just everyday people. Yeah. I constantly get these text messages about deliveries. I don't know about you. I'm not sure. I've definitely heard the phone calls from various big brand, which is clearly not something that I'm engaging with transaction-wise. So I know how to ignore them. But there are a lot of people who wouldn't have that experience or wouldn't know. I was at a lunch recently with Kayla Itzinas. She was the speaker from the Sweat app. And she said she'd been to see her doctor the day before and she went in and she was like, I just was on the phone to the ATO and they were asking me for all my personal information. I think surely they've already got that. And Kayla was like, oh my goodness, we have to see what we can undo here because she said she was a young and savvy doctor, but obviously they're very convincing sometimes when you get them on the phone. There's various stages in a business. You have your startup phase and then your sort of growth phase and then mature phase. And there's a lot of things that can happen along the way. You can deal with growth, you can deal with employment, you can deal with clinic space, you can deal with office space, partnerships, mergers, acquisitions, subleasing. I mean, there's just so many things that really need that kind of legal input. What's the most fundamental thing that a health care business or a health tech business needs to elevating their consciousness. Is it the mindset around these issues? Is it sort of having a vision for the type of legal governance that they need to systematically work towards? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. There are people who, like you say, do just have that mindset of wanting to protect it, seeing it as an asset and seeing the investment in legal services basically as a form of insurance. And we find that we just absolutely love working with those people because they just automatically get it. But what document is most important as well for health tech, just got to preach the privacy policy is really a document that you need in place as a health business, whether you're health tech or allied health or a doctor or med tech, because as a health business that collects sensitive information, you're automatically caught by the Australian privacy principles. But because you're collecting that sensitive information, it's probably the first document you need and you need to have it available for people. So the easiest way to do that is on your website. But as you said, Yanni, I think it really is the mindset, but it's sometimes not the entrepreneurial mindset, is it? We want to move fast as entrepreneurs. We want to get things done. We want to take risks because if we didn't want to take risks, we wouldn't be in business. We would be working for someone else. It's a balance, I think. 
That is so true. There is that kind of those persona distinctions between a commercial mindset and a legal mindset where they're characterised as legal tends to hold things back because we've got to think it through and we've got to analyse all the risks and assess it, whereas the commercial person is, I see the opportunity, I want to go get it. But I think there's a Venn here where you can actually marry up these two things. And I guess just going back to your approach with protecting the interests of a client at whatever stage they're at, we have a planning framework in health tech, which is called road mapping. And it's not exclusive to our industry. A lot of people use roadmaps, whether they're conscious of it or not. But the idea is that there's always more to do than you can actually do today. But just because you can't do it all today doesn't mean that you can just ignore it or never think about it again. You can capture it and then start to sequence out your planning so that you start to put incremental resources towards it over the course of your business growth. Is that something that resonates with you and the approach that you have to engaging with your clients? Absolutely. And what it made me think of is that's exactly how we want people to think about their health as well, isn't it? We can't go and run a marathon tomorrow. If we want to run a marathon, we do need to work up to things incrementally as we grow and become that athlete that can run a marathon or even eating properly. You don't necessarily need to just eat one particular way all of a sudden. It's not necessarily going to stick if you try that. So I think there's parallels with health in the way that we would recommend that people work in their health business. Although I do think setting up right from the very beginning and investing that money in agreements to start off with rather than I've talked to medical entrepreneurs who have said oh you know I engaged with this particular employee and then they just stopped turning up and I was like well what does the agreement say and they said oh I don't have an agreement with them (laughs) okay that's like hard to enforce then (laughs) so I want to be able to protect people by enforcing what their rights are but if there's nothing in place about what their rights are that makes it very difficult How do you address that or how do you deal with that in terms of how you've packaged and productized you legal in terms of putting it into the context of the customer experience? So we do try and make it extremely easy to get in touch with us. Like, So if you want to talk to a lawyer at ULegal, you can usually do that within the week you want to talk to them. And we don't charge for our first call. We want to find out if we can help you and if we're a right fit for each other, of course. Being able to talk to someone who speaks English, not legalese, is um, one of our main areas of specialty. We don't want to bamboozle people by using jargon that they don't understand. And we also want to make it as accessible as through the process. So we'll tell you what the next steps are. And we use booking links so people can book into our calendars. So there's no mystery about when we're available If you don't like to do that, we'll just ask you for some times you're available and we work out when we can make it work or shuffle things around if we have to. And if you've got a booking link, we'll use that. So just trying to demystify by speaking English, being available and trying to break down the steps so you know what's next. Yeah, I also noticed that you've also got online solutions around productized legal artifacts that your clients can actually download at reasonable price point. I understand that templates and there's always additional work that needs to be modified to suit that particular business. But tell me about that innovation. What led to thinking in that kind of way? I was actually very nervous about it. Lawyers don't like, and particularly, I think showing your colours to your other professionals, that was mostly what was 
nerve-wracking for me, other lawyers seeing what we charged for things. And with our online solutions, we actually provide them as more of a personal service, Yanni. So it's not necessarily a template. It's we take instructions through either on the phone or through an online bot. So you get a link to a questionnaire and you can go through that questionnaire in your own time. And we do find people like to do that in the middle of the night sometimes. And then after that, we have real life lawyers put together your agreement and use some technology to obviously support it with the questionnaire and then send that to you within five days or so and then make that appointment to talk it through so that what you've got, it fits what you need and you're protected, which is obviously my number one priority, as I've mentioned a number of times. It's really innovative and I totally get where you're coming from that a lot of the legal profession would not think this way. It's all about having a non-technical or not even judgmental way of saying it. But the legal profession tends to be, we have the IP over here. You've got to come Mm. and get it. And in a way, that's a bit like healthcare. We've got the healthcare over here. You've got to come and get it. But there are Mm. barriers in the way as far as clients who want to access that value and be able to engage with it. The traditional approach of coming in and just paying for time and materials and disbursements and things of that nature, it clearly doesn't work for everyone. There's an opportunity here to think in, in what I call digital first ways. And I was, I was actually wanted to put to you earlier, and I'll maybe I'll ask you the question now. What do you think of the term digital first law or what I call digital first healthcare? When you hear digital first, what does that bring up in your mind and how does that map to how you're going about things? I actually prefer it. The term that is used by lawyers is new laws. We're not traditional lawyers. We work in a different way. And so under new law can fit a whole different things. Whereas digital first, I think, really probably captures what we're doing because we are one of the first to be doing things this way. The other thing I think is important for how we practice and what we're about is we're really very focused on educating our community so that people know the risks that exist because you don't necessarily know what risks exist when you start a business. And that's why I wrote my book, Growing a Medical Practice from Frustration to a High Performance Business, which really does help people who are running a business or want to run a medical business to know the different options for that roadmap we talked about. That book just is super popular and I'm really glad I wrote it. The other thing we do is we run very regular webinars, which we put on our website and on YouTube. You can find them on YouTube and not have to even give an email address because educating the community about things is so important to me. And as you said, Yanni, usually lawyers will charge for that. And so that's another way where we've been disruptive compared to a traditional law firm, which wants to hold that IP, but I think giving it away is so important for people to know what they need. It comes down to what in the health industry is called behavioural change. And if you want clients to assimilate accessing the legal profession as part of their mentor group, their advisory group, they're part of the way that they're managing the business, you've got to lower the barriers so that over time it becomes a internalised habit of this is how we operate. This is part of our culture now. We've got Sarah available to us. We've got the accountant, the CFO, et cetera. So you're building your team or the key people around you. And I think that's something that the health professions might empathize with. But if not, there's a great opportunity to think in digital first terms and Mm -hmm. uh, break down those barriers so that you also have an asynchronous relationship with your clients. 
not one that is specifically appointment bound. And the only way we can interact is via a physical appointment. We can also interact via, I notice in your case, the education you talk about is you have the book, you have webinars, you have very informative blogs, you do your podcast, you move around the industry and do talks, not dissimilar to coming onto the show here. So there's a lot of great value in just touching the areas that you're touching to the extent that when people start to internalize those and make them part of their business culture, just going back to the mindset, all of a sudden you're factoring it in and you're getting the advice when you need it. You're doing it at the right time. It's a more agile relationship rather than this big decision that needs to be made to go off and get a lawyer. Yeah, no, we love working with people from the beginning till when they exit. So that whole journey is what we love to see our clients succeeding and to celebrate with them. So having that in and out relationship is what we thrive on and our client success is also what we just get very jazzed about, I suppose. We have a very customer-oriented value proposition with Core Plus. We call it Practicing Happy. I noted when I was reading aspects of your book that you were talking about kind of sort of break down the landscape around uh, law and in healthcare. And you talk about frustrations and you also talk about what high performance looks like. Do you want to touch on the landscape, the frustrations and what high performance looks like in the business of healthcare? It's one of those areas of business like the law that is highly regulated and that can be extremely frustrating for very entrepreneurial doctors. And we've got a client that's really keen to start a business at the moment that is more membership-based and having so many legal barriers to how to make that work in a way that is not going to have APRA or health just breathing down their necks, but they're very motivated to make a difference and make a contribution to healthcare, but I think that it can be extremely frustrating for very entrepreneurial um, people in the industry to feel like they can do anything. And I can identify with that because I often feel that with my own profession, that we create the over-regulation of our own profession to the detriment of clients. And really that is to the detriment of innovation. And there's just so much to learn, I guess, about our own experiences. And I could just see so many opportunities to improve it and address some of the gaps from a customer experience standpoint. It sounds as though you're driven or some of the origins for you legal come from that place with yourself. You've looked at the legal profession, you've empathized with the areas that aren't quite working. I think you call it humanizing uh, law in some of your uh, content that you've developed. Tell me more about where you get that wellspring of energy to make these improvements to achieve what you call new law, because that's really an interesting idea in of itself. I can 100% identify with you on the healthcare front in terms of a recent experience I had where I got concussion doing yoga, which is embarrassing, but just to get into my GP, (laughs) just to like get into my GP, pay for that, then she wanted to see it me the next day and I had to get medication and have scans and have blood tests and like there's all these steps where if I'd gone to emergency and waited for five hours, maybe I would have been a lot more confident that 
I knew what was wrong with me, that my brain wasn't still bleeding, that I just, what I had to do, and I totally can see that there are issues just from my very recent experience with accessing healthcare. And also, like, I'm in a fortunate position where I can pay to see my GP. I don't necessarily have to wait in emergency. And even though we have socialised medicine in this country, having privilege still means that you can access it faster, better, all the things that we set out to have everyone in our country have that experience doesn't necessarily happen. And so I suppose that's how I also think about accessing the law. Like I want to provide as many English, so that's the humanising part. We don't speak in legalese. We want you to be able to understand all of our materials and whether that's the podcast or a blog or the book or a webinar and people enjoy having media in different ways and so creating that in an accessible way also through our social media through our website making sure that it's really accessible and so that is also humanizing and what drives me for that is my experience as an in-house lawyer where lawyers just didn't get back to me and there was this big ego thing in the way and all these barriers i suppose to clients being able to have a good experience. I want to remove those and make it as easy as possible for our clients to get what they need. It needs that kind of vision to keep sort of moving the needle forward because we can all relate to how many, either personally or or through family and friends in our lives, how many people do run into legal problems and legal issues in their lives, alone their business lives. And with business, when you think about your duties as a director or under APRA, your duties as a registered healthcare professional or as a health tech innovator, the responsibilities you have around data and security and privacy, if you can get it right, that would be preferable to getting it wrong. Realistically, the only way to achieve that is to surround yourself with experience and expertise in order to lay down the foundations properly and build off that incrementally over time. You can't get the perfect business day one unless you've got ridiculous amounts of capital and just you're throwing bodies at it left, right and centre and even then that's not a guarantee. So business is a work in progress, systematic progression of work over time and you've got to make those refinements and get the inputs at the right time in order to do it and not feel that you have to do it all at once. Yeah, I feel so many people really don't, and this isn't just lawyers, but they don't leverage experts. And so understanding the environment and the community, which Yanni, you do so well to introduce to everyone through this podcast and your other activities to understand like who's who in the industry and check them out. And so that maybe you don't necessarily need something yet, but to know that that's a possibility and to know who is an expert in your industry because healthcare does have so many different trips and traps and I hear from clients that it's so refreshing to not have to educate your expert on your industry. In our case, obviously, lawyers, we know which questions to ask. We know what the recent cases are, which if you're more generalist in nature of your practice, you might not have that expertise just at your fingertips. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on a little bit earlier when we were talking about cyber insurance that the legal mindset and getting that governance right in your business is actually a form of self-insurance, I would argue. And what I mean by that, it's not that you're paying yourself a premium, but it's just that you're mitigating 
it's not necessarily ongoing. It's just a one-off. Considering that I know how much I worked as a litigator early in my career, as I mentioned earlier, I know how much disputes cost and an agreement or putting a protection in place at the front end is nothing compared to what a dispute can cost you in the long run. And it's not just money, it's time and energy and emotion as well that getting involved in something you didn't necessarily think was going to happen can end you up in a very disappointing place. I think that just goes to uh, one of the topics you've written about as well, which is the fall from grace within the healthcare profession. So tell me about that, if it's not sort of self-evident from the title, but why'd you choose that title and why'd you write about that? So I wrote a book called How to Avoid a Fall from Grace, uh, Legal Lessons for Directors, because I found that in my early practice days, there were so many of my clients that just didn't understand what their duties were as a director. And they weren't necessarily up for signing up for a five-day company director course through the AICD or some way to educate themselves. So I wanted to create a book people would read in the airplane and go through what people's director's duties are and make sure that they know how to protect themselves, how to deal with difficult boardroom situations, what actually is a conflict of interest, which for entrepreneurs who are starting medical businesses, like it can be difficult to know I'm actually separate. My interests are separate from my company, even though it pays me. I have to treat it as a separate person, we say in the law. It's a separate legal entity. It's separate from you. And as a director, you need to be doing everything that is in its best interest, not in your best interest. And there's some great case studies in there, which I took from clients that I work with. Obviously, no names involved, but experiences that my clients had had that I wanted to try and prevent other people from going through. One last question before we finish up. This show is about reimagining healthcare and obviously data privacy and security and legal governance are really important evolutions that the world is iterating upon just with the constant evolution of case law, statutory reform, Mm -hmm. regulations, various contracts that need to be entered into and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of moving parts in it. But let's talk about the future. What's the world going to look like, Sarah, in let's say five, ten years' time if you legal and the ideas, this sort of digital first legal type of service model and the innovation that you're putting into your productization and your content strategies, what's it going to look like? How are we reimagining uh, healthcare law? I guess we're front of mind when people are setting up their healthcare, health tech, health med tech businesses, um, that part of getting their structure together is what legals they need in place. And that they know that, oh, the library of webinars and (laughs) blogs will just be incredible by then. So having that regular communication with people so that they are taking the steps when they need to, to protect their business, protect themselves and protect their team and also protect their profit. Most importantly, you don't have a business without profit. So that's what drives me. I definitely have mapped the idea to digital first thinking. When people ask me what is digital health, I often say it's about thinking about delivering healthcare in a way that fits into the lives, the schedules, the goals and aspirations of your client. And so extending out into their world and being a part of their world and integrating into their world is digital first thinking. And that's how I relate to what you're doing, Sarah. And that's why I was really excited to invite you on the show and actually get to talk about this because you're 
definitely a standout in the legal profession because of the specialization with healthcare professionals and all the nuanced risks. There are obviously the general legal risks, then there's the characteristics of healthcare in, uh, in particular. But I really value and appreciate your time today, Sarah. Thank you uh, so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.